Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling. Let us bring in Tom Brady, Super Bowl champion for the seventh time. Tom, I mean, this is all you play for. And you think about the odds you had to overcome to get to this game and to get to this point right here. How special is this night for you of all the great things you've accomplished? I'm so proud of all these guys out here. Everything we uh, dealt with all year. We had a rough month in November, but VA had all the confidence in us. The team had a lot of confidence. I think we knew this was going to happen tonight, didn't we? We ended up playing our best game of the year. With all that you've done, where does this rank? Is this the crowning achievement? Uh, I'm not putting any, um, making any comparisons. I, you know, being down here and experiencing it with this group of guys is, um, every year is amazing. And this team is world champions forever. You can't take it away from us. So, thank you guys. Thank you all. And there's more to come, right, Tom? There's more to come as far as football. Yeah, we're coming back. We're coming back. know that. Coming back. Tom Brady's coming back. There we go. Congratulations, the Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl 55 champions. Well, how about that, Luke? Have you gotten any sleep yet? Is it is it finally sinking in for you? I, I don't know if it's sinking in yet. I, I am uh, about halfway through uh, stabilizing the sleep schedule <laughs> um, after after making what did I what did I tell you off the air? I think I made coffee at like 2 a.m. Monday morning. Yes, you were tweeting went about to bed it. at like I was still up 4:30. Uh, you get up and start doing radio stuff, obviously, the next morning because everybody wants to talk about it. You get in a, a nap, a nap, you know, around lunchtime, another one in the evening, and then you start to kind of, you know, I don't I don't know that what day it is or what time it is, and I don't care because uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are world champions, so uh, I don't really care. Yep, and, and as Tom Brady said, no one could take it away from him. And, and you're yeah, I was checking in on you on Twitter late into the night. I was up as well. Uh, I mean, you had one tweet that was just, guys. Then you had another tweet a little bit later. It was like, y'all. I was just like, that's, that's I was, all I had, yeah. man. It was either that or just just hysterical laughter. That's all right. I had at that point. It right. was preposterous. And the gif of, of Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec just kind of looking like he was beside himself. And I thought that one hits the nail on the head, right? I mean, that was very much the feeling. We feel stunned in the moment. But at the end of the day, it's like, maybe we should have seen this coming, right, Luke? Because the Bucks are a really good team. Offense, defense, special teams. I think they proved they were better than the Chiefs. There's no doubt about it. I want to get into some of the side stories that are coming that are coming out about the officiating and all that crap. But, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised because this was a really, really good team and they proved it in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think, you know, if anybody who's listened to this show throughout the year, we've we've touched on it time and time again that this team has always been capable of playing like this, right? We, we look at the roster, you see what's on paper, and it's the reason Brady came here in the first place, right, was, was because this roster was already so talented, so balanced in terms of, you know, young, promising talent and, you know, guys that were, you know, breakout stars and then obviously experienced veterans on both sides of the ball. They had it all. They just didn't have that, you know, quarterback who can take care of the football but also take advantage of the weapons, right, take care of the ball, no turnovers, you know, leave your defense, you know, stop hanging your defense out to dry with those turnovers. And and a guy that on at least on Brady's level, right, this turn in terms of 
not just his his Super Bowl experience, his playoff experience, and all that that brings, but his the way he does his job, right? The way he goes about his job, and we've talked to so many players on the team about how they've learned to take care of their bodies better because of how Brady does it, how they've learned to approach watching film because now they see how Brady does it. And and all of these things that have seeped into the rest of the team because of his presence, that's the kind of stuff that can make one guy take a team over the top because you'll keep hearing these sound bites and these quotes from Arians or whoever that it's like, all it took was Tom Brady. You know, it, It's not that he's the only one who's responsible for this title. It's that this team was already way better than they, than they, we thought they were because of the turnovers. Right. I mean, again, Jameis Winston did some great things for this franchise, man. He put up some huge numbers. We had a lot of fun watching him play at his best over those five seasons, but you can't turn the ball over more than any other quarterback in the NFL for five years and wonder why you're not going to the playoffs. And I, I feel like so much of this talent on this team was overshadowed, especially last year, a team with a losing record, it shouldn't be this surprising that this team was capable of this. But again, you know, something I've said on this show multiple times is that Bucks fans are jaded. We will have to see it to believe it. And even though we kind of were aware of how talented this team was and how good they could be, even this season, they never played four quarters of football to their potential until Super Bowl freaking Sunday, man. <laughs> good time. And they picked one hell of a time to play the best, most complete, most dominant game they have played all season long. Uh, and my gosh, man, what a what a beautiful masterpiece it was. Coaching, execution, um, and to do it in your home stadium. How ridiculous. You talked about the gauntlet they went through. They beat, they beat Drew Brees on the road. Yep. They beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. Right, and then they come that, home. Yep with the pressure of being the first team to ever play for the Super Bowl in your home state, and you can't get beat at home in the Super Bowl. But then you look at what the Chiefs brought to the table, and you look at what they did to them just in the first quarter back in Week 12, and you're like, man, I don't know how the Bucks are going to pull this off. They didn't just pull it off, man. I mean, they did exactly what they did the last time they went to the Super Bowl, was they, they boat raced them. They, they faced the number one offense in the league for the second time in the Super Bowl, and the defense embarrassed them. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you could, you could light the cigars in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter. I mean, that, that thing was over. You know, this morning when I started thinking about, you know, what I want to talk about during this show, I mean, it kind of hit me all of a sudden. It's like, where does this team stand among the league's 55 champions? And I'm starting to think, like, it might be one of the most talented out of all of them. So when you start going down the list, obviously you have Tom Brady, who's the greatest football player of all time, who's starting to transcend his own sport now, Luke, right? I mean, now it's like Brady and Michael Jordan at this point with seven championships and right. ten Super Bowls. So I Yeah, mean, you're, you're, talking, you're talking Jordan, Gretzky, Serena, 100%. Tiger, that, yes. that type of deal at that yeah. point. Yeah, and, and, and just to make – we're adding individual sports there just to make the list longer, right? I mean, that, that's what yeah. it is. It's just more uh, fun. Yeah, of course. And you got Gronk, who's – he might go down as the greatest tight end to ever play in his position. You got Mike Evans, who's your guy. I know you love Mike Evans, Luke. You've been calling him a Hall of Famer. I think every week you, you stick that in. Mike Evans, a Hall of Famer. You stick that Hall in. Hall of That's, Fame, yes. Super Bowl champion, Mike there Evans. There you go. And I was always like, <laughs> what? Mike Evans is a Hall of Famer? He's never been to the playoffs. Well, now he was the number one receiver on a Super Bowl champion, so check that off. He's a Hall of Famer now. Good for you, Mike Evans. You'll be in the Hall of Fame. We, we see that coming now. And, and then there's just so many names on the defense. Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea, Devin White, who's a budding freaking superstar, right? You got Levante David. And you got two guys who dominated all postseason pressuring the quarterbacks in JPP and Shaq Barrett. Just ridiculous. We haven't even mentioned the O-line. We haven't even mentioned guys like Fournette and AB who came 
during the season to try to you know help bring this team over the top. And oh, by the way, they score touchdowns in the Super Bowl. There's all kinds of other unsung guys that kind of made plays in key moments. And I think this could very well be one of the most talented, well-rounded Super Bowl champions ever. Luke, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but you just said it all, right? I mean, and, and again, I know we're going to get into, you know, looking forward, you know, later, but I mean, the the biggest surprise, we first of all, going into this game, we knew how talented, obviously, the defensive front was, right? We knew they maybe had the two, the best two inside linebackers in the league on defense, right? That secondary was the question, and the secondary came to play. The average age of that secondary, and I'm talking like the top six DBs, three safeties, three corners. I'm pretty sure it's like 24 years old. I don't think any of them are older than 24 or 25. And they're just getting started. That's good so news. That's good there's news right so there. much talent. Yes, there's so many veterans that had such a, a big impact. But, man, this there are going to be pieces here for a while and, and that will outlast Tom Brady. I, I don't know if you can even say that, though, until he decides so. But in terms of, like you said, uh, you know, maybe the most talented, one of the most talented Super Bowl teams of all time, I, I, it's hard to argue with that. What I do know is this, that they beat the Chiefs by 22 points and brought their all-time Super Bowl uh, margin of victory down um, <laughs> because they beat the Raiders by 27 back in 2003. Yeah, it was the closest uh, so now the, Super Bowl in team history. It was. And uh, so the, the Bucks are 2-0 and in Super Bowls. They have the highest margin of victory in Super Bowls of any team that has more than one. Uh, Super Bowl victory, and, and only the Bears and the Seahawks have uh, have bigger margins of victory in their only wins. Um, but man, I mean, two of the two of the top twelve most lopsided Super Bowl wins in Super Bowl history, and against in both of those games, it was against the number one offense in the league. I mean, that's just the Bucks went up against the Raiders in two thousand three and scored more touchdowns than the Raiders did. The number one defense outscored the number one offense, and then they held Patrick Mahomes to no touchdowns, which means that through eight quarters of Super Bowl football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense has still scored more touchdowns than they've allowed, which is just full. I just what do you say about that? That's so fun. There's not much to say, and especially this team, this this Chiefs team, which was supposed to be the next thing, right? I mean, it was supposed to be the passing of the torch from Brady to Mahomes. The Chiefs were supposed to win this game. They were the team that nobody could stop. They were the team that the Bucks couldn't stop in that Week 12 game during the regular season. And you said it. They stopped them. The Chiefs actually gave them all the credit in the world after the game. I think Mahomes and Andy Reid both tipped their hat to Todd Bowles and, and that defense and what they were able to do. They were awesome. And Mahomes was just running for his life. I, I saw an amazing stat, Luke. I'm sure you saw it, too of how many yards Mahomes had to run after receiving the snap and then releasing the football. I think he ran like 400 yards during the game trying to run away from all the pressure the Bucks were putting on him. He was running and scrambling all over the place. And the Chiefs seemed to give the Bucks some due. But, of course, and I know you've been battling people on Twitter, and, and bless you, Luke. Uh, I'm, I'm right here behind you. Let me know if you I need any I should know help. better. I yeah. should know better at this point, right. man. But, but I, I, got, I, got the, I got the energy today. I'll, I'll let them <laughs> Of course you do. Yeah. It's all the coffee, right? No, I got your back on this. I mean, it seems like all the Chiefs fans, uh, Mahomes' mom, and all the Tom Brady haters are blaming the refs for this game, and they think the fix was in and that you know, Brady and the Bucks paid off the refs or whatever. And I just think that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. I mean, and I will say this though, before I want to get your take on it, but first off, 
My preference for the Super Bowl is for it to be called like that NFC Championship game was between the Bucks and Packers. I want to forget that the refs are even there. And I kind of did for times during that, that NFC Championship game. So I will say this. The fact that there was, what, 15 accepted penalties in the Super Bowl, I think that kind of blows. That's not my kind of game. I don't, I don't want to see that many flags. But at the end of the day, I still blame the Chiefs for being stupid. And I blame the Chiefs for coming out and sleepwalking through the first half, which we talked about last week, didn't we, Luke? We said this team, man, they got all the talent in the world, but sometimes they come out and they they play stupid football. And also, I blame the Chiefs for being the most, and as you wrote, the most penalized team in the league. 143 flags this season, the most penalized team in the league. That is who the Chiefs are. They're a really talented team that sometimes plays stupid football, and sometimes they play terrible in the first half. And this time, the Bucks are so freaking good, Luke, that... They couldn't make up for it, and that and that's good. They finally got what they deserved, I thought. You know, like you said, when you go back and compare the fact that through the whole season, the, the Chiefs are the most penalized team in the league, and also don't give me this whole, you know, we're going to slant things towards Tom Brady. You know, Patrick Mahomes is the new guy, right? He's the new golden goose of the NFL. <laughs> he's on all the commercials. He's in all the promos. Like, I love Patrick Mahomes. He's phenomenal. Like, I have nothing against him. I, it's just like, yep, if, you're, like him too. if you're going to make the argument – that the NFL or the officiating would show any sort of preferential treatment to anyone over Patrick Mahomes, considering that he's the one on the upward trajectory here and with more, in my opinion, marketability moving forward. That's just hilarious to me. I I don't see what's in it for the league in that situation. If if it would have gone the other way, right, if Mahomes would have gone off and the Chiefs dominate the Bucs and the torch passes and this whole new legacy, the league gets just as much play out of that as they do that Brady wins a, a seventh ring and a fifth MVP and all that. So they don't, I don't think they would care either way. But when you break it down, like you said, we, I've talked about this before. We talked to um, Jason Light leading up to the Super Bowl. He mentioned, this is the general manager of the Bucks that, that the, the week five loss to Chicago really, really frustrated him a lot because of how many penalties, how many self-inflicted errors. Obviously, they lost Vita Bea in the, at the end of that game to the broken leg. Just a really demoralizing game. And he said that Bruce Arians told him that's the best thing that happened to us all year, that game, because that's the game where everybody decided we're not going to beat ourselves anymore. And since that game, starting in week six with that blowout win over the, over the Packers, the Bucks are the least penalized team in the league. It's not because Tom Brady has the fix in. It's because a bunch of guys in that locker room decided, you know what? We're too good to keep losing games to teams that are worse than we are because we can't get out of our own way. So they stopped committing penalties, and that continued through the Super Bowl. They played a cleaner game. The Chiefs made some critical mistakes, particularly in that second quarter. They set an NFL record for penalty yardage in a quarter of a Super Bowl. But they committed the penalties, Ryan. Like, what? I saw I some film breaking down. Like, don't do it. Don't hold receivers. Don't jump in front of receivers' paths eight yards down the field and then wonder why you get flagged for, you know, pass interference or illegal contact. Like, what are you doing? You don't get to turn around and be upset when you're committing fouls. And Michael Irvin, I think, uh, talked about it on, on the NFL Network coverage. He he said when, when there's two kinds of penalties that are that are both really frustrating, obviously the ones like on the field goal where you got a guy lining up off sides to give you know Brady another chance and to give them a, a chance to score a touchdown. That's one thing. But when you when you commit a lot of penalties in the middle of the game in a physical way, right? It's just at the point of attack, a lot of times it's because you're just getting beat up. You're 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 out physicaled by the other team. I don't know if that's a word, but like they're just 
beating you at, at the physical point of attack and, and, and playing more physical than you are. And the only thing you can do is grasp. The only thing you can do is, is grasp for whatever you can. And I think that's what the Chiefs were doing in the second quarter. And it came back to bite them. I think that maybe they thought they would call the game, like you said, like that NFC title game. But once you figure out that they're not, you got to play with better technique, man. You got to be in position. You got to, you got to play the game better. It's almost like a pitcher in a strike zone, right? It, you know, one after a couple innings, and you realize what the ump's given you. You got to play to that. And if you don't do that, you got nobody to blame but yourself. Well, first of all, I think out physical is definitely a word, Luke, on this amount of sleep. So uh, absolutely, it is now. Yeah. If it's not before, I'm yep. making it one hundred percent. And then, yeah, I just think this is who the Chiefs kind of are. And they just have ridiculous talent, and it bails them out of being a team that commits a lot of penalties. And they're used to committing a lot of penalties in games because they're the most penalized team in the league. And usually Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and company will bail them out of that, and they'll win the game in the end because they, they've been just so good in those situations. If they're close in the fourth quarter, they usually win the game. We talked about that last week as well. Well, they weren't close in the fourth quarter, which I think is probably the most stunning part of the game, that the, the Bucks just completely put the throttle down and it was over and the Chiefs just could not score. So again, credit to the defense there. But I think if the Chiefs hadn't won last year's Super Bowl, Luke, and let's remember, they were about to lose that one. The 49ers were a couple first downs away from putting that thing away. They just couldn't get a first down in the fourth quarter. It allowed Mahomes just to get that ball a couple times and come back. But I'll tell you, the Chiefs were in big time trouble last year. I know all my Super Bowl wagers, they, they, they went a certain way because the 49ers couldn't get a couple first downs. I'm still mad at Jimmy Garoppolo over that one. But if they hadn't won that game, I think we'd look at this Chiefs team a lot differently, Luke. We'd look at them and say, look how they were acting in that second quarter. Look how they were just like losing their mind. Tyron Matthew, Tyreek Hill was kind of losing it. They seemed rattled in that second quarter when things weren't going their way. I think we'd be saying, that team doesn't get it. They're front runners. I know they got the Super Bowl ring, so we can't really say that with a ton of conviction. But I kind of think there's a little bit of that. There's... It's more individual talent over there than it is a great team. And I think the Bucks showed offense, defense, special teams. When it comes to being a smart team, not committing penalties, taking advantage of opportunities, all that crap. Oh, man, the Bucks were a better team. And the right team won, I think, in that instance. I, I definitely believe that. Yeah, I think that not only did the most complete team win, but the healthier team won. Let's be honest, right? I think injuries had a lot to do with this. You get Vita Vea back two weeks ago for the NFC title game. Really, the only key part of that, you know, offense or really the whole team, you could say, is, you know, they lost O.J. Howard early for the season to the to the torn Achilles and they lost uh, Alex Kappa, their starting right guard. But man, Aaron Stinney, no NFL starts and he makes his first three starts in the playoffs and the Super Bowl and does a phenomenal job. Um, and you know what, Luke, I, there's a ton of people out there that probably have never heard of him, and that's that's how well he played, right? He played yeah, so well that nobody knows that name right now. And that's what, that you know, outside of Tampa, the diehards, and that's how great he played. Exactly, man. So when you look at the fact that one of the big matchups in this game was obviously that, that patchwork, banged-up offensive line for Kansas City against literally a murderer's row of a yeah. defensive line, right? And a, and, a, and a front seven. And then you were just hoping, man, if I can take advantage of this secondary that we torched in that first quarter. But, I mean, this, this kind of brings me to another point, though. But when Todd Bowles, remember back in week six when they played Green Bay, right? It's 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Rodgers is doing whatever he wants. Bucks can't move the ball. And, and Todd Bowles switches everything up at the end of the first quarter, right? And he starts running a lot of different complex pressures and, you know, showing blitzes and changing things post-snap and, and doing a lot of zone pressures to, to kind of confuse Aaron Rodgers. He did the exact opposite in this game. He played the most boring, vanilla defense 
and literally just told his guys to go out there and and beat the Chiefs' ass. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, he didn't have this, like, complex. It was a great game plan. It was masterful, but I think it was masterful in its simplicity. He let his guys go out there with a chip on their shoulder from, from that Week 12 game and just let them go out and take a championship and, and and impose their will on another offense. And he and that's what they did, man. Like his he did not overthink it. He did not say, "Oh, I'm just going to draw up all these complicated things to to show off how smart I am as a coordinator." No, he knew. He was smart enough to know, "Listen, yeah, I'm just going to tell my guys this is the way we're going to play it. We're going to we're going to just outplay these guys." And that's what happened, man. So kudos again and and honestly on the offensive side of the ball, Byron Leftwich had a very similar game. They did not really run a whole lot of big drop back vertical stuff, big play stuff like they were doing earlier in the year. They kept it pretty simple on offense too. And were willing to take the underneath stuff, which again, when a team sees so much film of you doing things a certain way on both sides of the ball. And then when you get to, to play them again in the biggest game of the year and you completely flip the script and do something completely opposite that they're not really prepared for. I think that's what we saw as well. That was, it was awesome. Yeah. And bowls on the defensive side, really not drawing up blitzes and really not putting himself in a situation where he was going to send extra guys and let him get burned by Mahomes. It was amazing how few times they blitzed Luke and how much pressure they were able to get. It just seemed like Mahomes was constantly under pressure, never comfortable, running for his life, and and that was remarkable. And yeah, and then on the, on the offensive side, I think Leftwich was just, let's be honest, the narrative out here in New England is that he was just messing with Bill Belichick, just trying to get all the expatriates involved, Rob Gronkowski, AB, right? That's that was the whole game plan. I okay, mean, I was just kidding. I don't I don't care if it was. I <laughs> whatever I'm fine it with it if that's what he wants to do, but man, I, I just again, so much was made all year long. And this is in spite of a lot of comments from Bruce Arians throughout the year about how in integral how instrumental Byron left which was to not just I think Bruce said it earlier this week he said if Byron wasn't available I might not be coaching still you know he was one of the biggest reasons he took this job when Jason Light you know obviously it was Jason Light was the biggest reason because he, he had a relationship with him the general manager but he also saw an opportunity to basically get his band back together right all the coaches Todd Bowles Casey Rogers Keith Armstrong Harold Goodwin all guys that have worked with him before and Byron Leftwich, he knew, he has seen something in him a long time ago when he started developing him in Pittsburgh and then in Arizona. He, he, he sees something special in him. So he has tried to give him credit all year long. But all anybody wants to talk about is either how Bruce Arians impacts the offense with his, you know, the, the no risk it, no biscuit thing and the identity that he wants it to have, or that it's just Tom Brady going out there and calling whatever plays he wants. And, you know, he gets all the credit on that side. But Byron Leftwich has been instrumental to this offense. And I, honestly, if you go back, there's a, I think Tom Brady was mic'd up um, for the Washington game, the Washington playoff game. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a part where he goes over there and he's, he's working on a play with Byron during a timeout or something. Um, and I think Byron asks him what he wants, like what play, you know, he likes in this situation. And I think Tom's response to him is like, you're hot, baby, whatever you got, you're, yeah, you're yeah. on fire tonight. Like you just, whatever you want is going to work because you're on tonight. So like this whole narrative that it's either everything's on Arians with the offensive success or everything is on Brady with the offensive success. Let's give Byron Leftwich the, the dues that, that Arians has been trying to give him and, and Brady himself has been trying to give him all year long. He deserves so much credit for how well this offense played, particularly over that eight-game winning streak. It all came together, and now I guess the question as we look ahead a little bit, Luke, is 
how long will the band be together, right? How much longer can this band be together? I know Mike Evans has already come out and stated that he'll restructure his contract if needed. He'll he'll give away some money if needed to, to try to keep the team together. Uh, but that might be easier said than done. I think the Bucks, correct me if I'm wrong, have about, ooh, what is it, $28 million in cap space going into the offseason. And when you look at their own free agents, there's some big names. Shaq Barrett. He had a great year last year, too, but this postseason, he was awesome. He was so good this postseason. Levante David, I think. David and White, they were game changers with their speed and their ability to tackle and all that. Gronk's a free agent. Sue's a free agent. Fournette and Antonio Brown, two guys that came over on short money and they might be looking to get paid, right? So I, I think they might be going elsewhere. Who knows? Will the Bucks try to retain him? Another big name who hasn't made his big payday yet is Chris Godwin, and he's a free agent. So what sticks out to you looking at that list? I know you put it out there on Bucks Wire recently. What stands out to you about that free agent list? It, it goes a lot longer than what I just said, but there's some big names on it, Luke. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think you kind of already alluded to it. There's, there's, It's going to be situational with some of these guys, right? You if you know if ab and fournette in particular want to parlay the success that they had particularly down the stretch here into a bigger payday or at least a longer term contract somewhere else right a little more security at that at this point in their careers that would make sense they're probably going to get more money elsewhere uh, and it's just I because agree. the bucks don't yep. have enough of it yep. so it, it's going to take a decision on their part to say you know, do I make a couple extra million here? Keep in mind, no state income tax in Florida, so you can save a lot of that money. Um, yeah, Tom Brady's it, it, taking it, advantage it go- of that. There's right, no it goes a little further here than it goes in California or New York or some other places, but, um, you know, that will factor into it. Will they be willing to take less money? Guys like that will um, potentially be willing to do that because I, I don't know if either of them are going to be full-time starters elsewhere. Maybe Fournette, depending on the backfield, but running backs – you just never know, man. Every situation, and Fournette should know better than anybody how quickly you can go from the guy to being cut and, and not a factor at all. So if he likes his spot here, I don't see why he wouldn't be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take maybe less than, than what I would get from the Jets, you know, to, to go to a terrible team that might give me a, a two- or three-year deal with more money. I like my spot here. I like my role here, uh, and I want to go win another championship. So I think the biggest question is, can the Bucks move enough money around to keep the big ones, right? I think Gronk probably comes back at less than what they paid him this year because obviously they, they paid him what was on the last year of his deal uh, with uh, New England, which was, I think, between 10 and $11 million this year. Yep. I don't think, he, I don't think he'll, he'll need that much to, to stick around next year. I, I don't think they'll be able to afford it anyway. But the big question is, can you get a, a long enough term deal an extension for, for Barrett. Obviously, Levante David is the defensive captain, has been for a long, long time. He's going to stay. They'll figure that part out. Barrett's going to probably be the toughest one because you're a pass rusher. And when you're a pass rusher, you make bank. So he's represented by Drew Rosenhaus. I'll never forget uh, when I left the press box um, after week 17 uh, in 2009 when he, or 2019 when he had three sacks in that last game to beat Chandler Jones for the title. Uh, and get 19 and a half. I was coming out of the media elevator to go towards the locker room, and Drew Rosenhaus is walking like in the opposite direction from the tunnel with the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> hey, we just made uh, some money, he, baby. <laughs> he knew what was uh, what was on the line there in that game, and he was pretty happy about it. So, you know, Shaq knows he can probably get a lot of money somewhere else, and the Bucks will have to match at least close enough to make Rosenhaus happy, I think. Um, and then Godwin's the other big one to me. Because he's 24, 25, 
and obviously playing at an extremely high level, in my opinion, one of the most complete, if not the most complete wide receiver in the league in terms of all the different things he can do at a high level. Um, so, I mean, even the franchise tag for a guy like him after they franchised Shag Barrett this year, they could franchise him, but that's $15 million for next year by itself uh, for Godwin, and that's a guy, again, at his age, you really want to lock him in long term. So, mm-hmm. They got a lot of things to figure out, man. Uh, the, you know, the, the two guys that I look at in terms of you're going to try to find money. Where can, I, where can I make some money? Where can I move it around? Cameron Brait uh, is in his 30s as a tight end. He's obviously taken a clear backseat to Gronk. You'll have O.J. Howard back next year who's only going to be, I think, 26 years old. Uh, he'll be on his fifth-year option. So, you know, Cameron Bright making six million next year. There's some money there that you could probably approach him and say, "Hey, man, we need some of this." Yep. Uh, and the other guy is Donovan Smith because, first of all, Donovan Smith played his ass off in these playoffs. I think he played. He picked the best time to play the best three or four games of his career uh, after a really inconsistent up and down. He's been very durable, very reliable. He's only missed, I think, one or two starts in five seasons since being a week one starter as a rookie, uh, as a second round pick, but he's been pretty inconsistent. He played the best football of his life these last four weeks in the playoffs. And I think he's going to, his agent is going to remind the team of that when they approach him and say, Hey, you got one year left on this deal. You're supposed to make $14.8 million next year. And none of it is guaranteed. So how do we move some of that money a into a guaranteed signing bonus for you? So, you know, you're getting, you know, a good chunk of change no matter what. And we can also bring down that cap number for our benefit and give you basically more upfront, more guaranteed money, but bring that caps, you know, that cap hit down so we can spend some of that elsewhere. I think that's a big place where the bucks could save some of that money that they're going to need to keep those other guys. It's so interesting. And we're going to be following it just for some housekeeping. Luke, we're going to be back in March to continue the discussion about 2021. We're going to start talking free agency. We'll get into the April and I'm really excited to start talking the draft with you because I know that you're a draft guy. Uh, so you could teach me a few things about the draft. So, and, and your bucks are picking number thirty-two, obviously. So we can it's finally a beautiful we thing. can finally pencil that thing in. So that's hey, a, hey, it's it's going to be a while. So I want to mention this. I want I, yeah. I almost got it in last segment, but yeah. I want to point out something. The NFL has has said a lot of things this this whole year about how they they understand that they have a problem in terms of hiring when it comes to uh, people of color, black head coaches. Uh, you know, black um, executives uh, making space for women in this sport. Um, and this hiring cycle, they really sucked at it again. Um, they they did not do a great job of, of kind of putting their money where their mouth was in terms of the teams. And that's because the league can say one thing and the owners don't just, they just don't care. They don't have to listen. Um, and they didn't uh, for the most part in this hiring cycle yet again. And it was really frustrating um, for a lot of people. So I say that, to bring it to the bucks. And I say, if the league and and teams and owners won't just do this because it's the right thing to do, right. If they won't give, uh, you know, qualified candidates uh, a chance just because you should, maybe the fact that the most diverse coaching staff in the NFL just won a Super Bowl uh, will teach you that that will lead to success. When you have a team that has, Black men in the in all four coordinator positions. You have Byron Leftwich on the offense. You have Todd Bowles on the defense. All these guys are coming back, by the way. Nobody got hired. Nobody, you know, barely got interviewed. And all these guys talking about keeping the band back together. This whole coaching staff is coming back together. I, I add 
Keith Armstrong, the, the special teams coach, Harold Goodwin, who's their assistant head coach uh, and run game coordinator. They have two women on staff, the only team with two women in full-time coaching positions in uh, Morale Java Defer uh, on the strength and conditioning side, Lori Locust on the defensive line. They brought in Jackie Davidson, uh, a black woman, to run their uh, analytics, basically. She's the director of football research uh, and had a huge hand in, in keeping this team in terms of salary cap, very flexible and, and understanding how to, to construct contracts. So, I just want to take the opportunity. I know the NFL doesn't seem to, to care, but maybe finally that they see, again, one of the most diverse teams and, and franchises and organizations that continues to invest in people of color, continues to invest in women in this sport. Maybe now they see rings on those fingers, they'll actually uh, you know, decide they need to do the right thing. No, I think that was really well said, and there's no doubt Tampa Bay is the leader in the clubhouse there, and it's not even close. And, well, Luke, we got a league of – rich white owners right and, and so it's you know getting this change to happen over time is it's a tough pull but i think like i said the bucks are the leader in the clubhouse and i think man a couple years ago i don't know if tampa was a great destination for football players but for a lot of reasons i think the bucks are a destination for uh, veteran players players in free agency uh, who wouldn't want to play in tampa bay right now with this team this is just a very likable uh, easy to root for team in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, I, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, but yeah, I, I was just going to, I was going to say we're fortunate enough. We've been doing this show for almost 25 consecutive weeks, Luke, uh, no days off, no weeks off because the bucks just keep winning. Uh, so we're actually going to take a couple weeks off and then we're going to come back in March to continue uh, the conversation about 2021 and beyond. I'm super excited about that. Um, you kind of just gave a, a brilliant final word, but I was going to throw the final word back your way again. I don't know if you want to talk about Tampa Bay now officially being title town, right? Because you lucky bastard, you've already celebrated, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the cup. You've now, you're still in the process of celebrating the Bucks in the Super Bowl championship. The Rays were the World Series finalists. So Tampa Bay is like the center of the sports universe. Never mind just hosting the Super Bowl. So you could maybe drop a line about that if you want, or you could talk about something from the game that stood out to you. I know you hit on that second quarter. I thought that sequence where. The Chiefs stopped the Bucks at the goal line with that crazy play where was was he? That could have been not? it, right? That could have been the moment. Right? That right? could have been the moment where everything turned and the Chiefs really figured it out, right? What a they, turning it point! Didn't matter one bit. And instead, the Chiefs make that huge, possible, like you just said, momentum changing stop almost, and they don't do anything with it, and they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And the Bucks end up outscoring them fourteen to three in that quarter anyway, even without that touchdown. And the ball game was basically over at halftime with the way the Bucks were playing defensively. So I don't know if there was anything from that quarter you wanted to hit on. I'll leave you with the final word on your Super Bowl champion Bucks. What do you think? You know, I'll, I'll use the final word to just just talk about how proud I am of my city, man. I, I'm born and raised in this area again, and that's why I'm such a huge Lightning fan. That's why I grew up rooting for this team. Um, but there's a reason the, the, the Super Bowl keeps coming back here, man, and that's because we know how to uh, we know how to do it down here. Um, I want to give props to Rob Higgins, uh, who is the head of the uh, the Super Bowl committee here, uh, who handles you know most of our big sports events down here. Uh, for the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. Uh, Derek Brooks, obviously the Hall of Fame linebacker for the Bucks, but he has remained in this community and been a huge part of everything sports-related that happens here. Um, he did a fantastic job. But but like you said, man, it's so fun to celebrate these, these championships with this team, but also just this city. I, I think that... You know, Florida in general, you know, is the butt of everybody's jokes and yes. for good reason most yep. of the time. Florida man is a thing for a reason. He exists. I see him all the time. Um, 
but you know what? We got a lot of we got a lot of good people here. We got a lot of people that are trying uh, to make this a place that we we are proud to live. Uh, and again, don't want to wax poetic too much off the field, but you know that that stuff matters. You know, it, 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 when when our teams win and, and we show success. And again, to go back to what I said a minute ago about you know actually you know having actions when it comes to diversity and giving opportunities to people and doing the right things when you when you do those things and then the success follows that i mean man that's just something to be damn proud of and again I, i'm so proud uh, to be a, a tampa resident to, to see the way our teams have played this year and the way our community has kind of rallied around them i would like to see a little bit better from my community in terms of health and safety protocols and, and the <laughs> Uh, finding a safer way to celebrate these things—that's uh, for sure. We got a long way to go in that uh, department, uh, but man, it's uh, it's a good day uh, for Tampa Bay. It's a good day for people that have been again long-suffering fans of this franchise and this uh, this town. Really proud of the way we handled the Super Bowl, and and hopefully, considering all things and uh, you know the way things went and, and how we were kind of able to pull this off despite what was going on. Hopefully, it's not too much longer before we get another one uh, and we can do it right. I don't think the wait's going to be long. As long as this band stays together, we will find out. But, man, just well said by Luke Easterling, Bucks Wire editor. I, I got to say, man, it's been a blast doing this show with you. We- and we've come a long way, Luke, since our first episode when I kept wanting to call you Nick. For- I kept wanting to call you, <laughs> you Nick <did. laughs> in that first episode. And we've just come a long way, man. I, I feel like uh, I- I- you know we're going to take a couple weeks off here. I'm, I'm going to miss talking to you every week. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it's going to be a little weird, but uh, we'll jump right back into it. Obviously, you know the draft is my, my the other love of my professional life. Yes, yes. Uh, so you know we'll have plenty to break down. I, I will not – I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, again, it's it's hard to juggle those things, and, and it's easy to mail it in when it comes to the draft because you have to focus so much on the team. But I've been doing both of these things for, for a long, long time. I love the draft so much, so you know we're going to get – Real deep into it, man. I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna do it right. Good for you, Bucks Nation. You have to wait till pick thirty-two on that first day of the draft. So good for you. That's that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, yeah, for Luke, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us all season. With that, we'll wrap up our 2020 portion of the show. But we'll be back in a couple weeks to start breaking down 2021. I can't wait. Thanks for joining us all season. We'll talk to you soon. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.